Welcome to the first NSB podcast. Today is Monday, April the 6th. My name is Luke. I'm the pastor at First NSB. Joining me today, same folks who join me every week, Paul Sanders, our associate pastor, and Joel Kobosh, our next generation pastor. So welcome to our listeners. We're glad you're tuning in today. And uh, we hope you're doing well in the midst of this global pandemic. Life has certainly changed in many ways, but uh, we're glad that we can still uh, podcast like we're doing right now. We're glad that we can still live stream on Sunday mornings through Facebook and our church website, and, and our small groups can continue to meet on online platforms. So give us your feedback. Tell us uh, what you think about the podcast. You can text us 386 777 1417. And uh, if you haven't downloaded our church app, let me encourage you to do that. And if you haven't tuned in yet on a Sunday morning via our live stream at 1030, let me encourage you to do that as well. We are getting ready for Easter Sunday. And gentlemen, this is going to be an Easter Sunday like none of us have experienced before, right? We are online only. None of us had any idea that's what this Easter was going to be just uh, several weeks ago, did we? No. No, we were planning to encourage everybody to invite people and invite people. In fact, that's what you said. He said, let's invite people. And uh, so, yeah, I really um, I really think it's going to be different. And I think it's going to be exciting because it's, uh, it's not just the fact that we have to do it, but in terms of it, we're forced to by pandemic. But I think that one of the things that we probably realize and, and are being dragged along kicking and screaming that we have to to uh, um, we have to do better at digital church because it's becoming a neighborhood that we want to minister in as a digital arena. Uh, and I'm fascinated. I, I just, uh, I just talked to the guy. We're going to, I take my car in for repair. He's open. And I said to him, I said, do you know that we're having Easter on Facebook live? He says, no. I says, well, why don't you tune in? He says, well, I think I will. Now he hasn't come. I don't know. He's brought his kids to, uh, BBS. But I don't know if he's ever come to church. And uh, I told him about the drive-by that we're doing, and he, he was excited. He, he was going to tell his wife. And, you know, you know it's kind of interesting. Um, th- th- that's what's going on. And it reminds me of what we're, what we're going to talk about today, because Paul was doing something radically different uh, in, the, in the histories of the Jews. They never had done what he's doing, which is reaching out to the people around them and, and telling them that, uh, that God loved them uh, because this is new when Jesus came. He, he totally turned the world upside down. So, yeah, I think it's I think not only is it a challenge, but I think it's exciting. Yeah, and Paul, that's a good point. You, even though we're not meeting at our physical property, we can still invite people. We can invite them to join us like you did, uh, to join us online for the live stream. And, and there's, you know, it's probably very likely that some people – would join us on online before they would actually come to our physical property. So uh, it's certainly accessible. You don't even have to leave your house uh, as long as you have a device or or a computer or something that has access to the internet. You can you can tune into what what's happening. So uh, we've got a lot going on this weekend. We are planning for a Good Friday service, and we are planning on Good Friday to a live stream at six thirty. We're going to read scripture. We're going to contemplate the meaning of the death of Jesus and, and what his death has accomplished for us. 
and we're going to take communion together as a church family. And it's not the way we typically do communion because the idea of communion is we are coming together as a church family. We're, we're physically in the same space and we are taking the bread and we're taking the cup and we are uh, corporately remembering what Jesus did for us in giving his body and giving his blood for our eternal salvation. And so uh, this will be the first time we've done it in an, in an online uh, format, and uh, we're, we're planning for that. We're also looking at the drive-by, which, Paul, you mentioned that, the drive-by spring fling. And um, also I noticed this morning the city of New Smyrna Beach has, has put a post out about the event, so that's encouraging to see uh, them you know, joining in as far as promotion and, and letting our community know about the event. And then uh, we're live streaming on Sunday at 1030. So not the weekend that we had planned uh, for, but still a weekend where we can do ministry and we can continue to, to make disciples and proclaim the name of Jesus. So uh, looking forward to it. There's going to be a lot of work that goes into it. So uh, we got to have some endurance, right? Got to have some endurance and, and some energy going into it, but uh, it's going to be a, a good weekend. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the text. We're in Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26. And uh, the book of Acts is um, recounting for us the period in the history of the church uh, just immediately after the Gospels. And so we understand that the book of Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, both written by by Luke, who was a co-worker, a companion uh, with the Apostle Paul on some of his missionary journeys. And Luke is describing for us the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and how the church obeyed the commission of Jesus, and, and they were his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so when we come to Acts chapter 26, we're coming to the end, uh, just about the end of the book of Acts. Paul is recounting his conversion experience, how he came to know Jesus and how his life was radically transformed by the resurrected Jesus. So we're going to we're going to read this narrative. Uh, Joel, Pastor Joel is going to read the narrative and then we're going to spend some time interacting with the text, making some observations and just trying to glean some some insight from, from this narrative. All right, Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, 
But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the, the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying, nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could not have been set free if this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Right. Thank you. So let's uh, look, let's look at this here. So one of the things we see in the book of Acts is the radical transformation of, of the apostle Paul. And, and we, uh, we know him um, by as Saul of Tarsus. We know him as the apostle Paul. And when we look at his experience in the book of Acts, we see that his encounter with Jesus on his journey to Damascus to persecute Christians, as described in Acts chapter 9, it, it resulted in uh, a major, major transformation because Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to him. And here we see him describing that. So let's just talk a little bit, and, and I'm really kind of looking... Uh, I guess to start out with it at verses six to eight, where Paul uses the term hope and he talks about my hope, but, but he also talks about the fact that, um, 
this wasn't just his hope. He, he says, in fact, verse six, he says, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Now, this hope that Paul's referring to, let's talk about that for a moment, um, because I think verse eight is instructive in that regard. What, what, would, what would you say is the hope that Paul is here specifically mentioning when he talks about my hope, he says this hope. What what is this hope? I would say it's the, the future hope of uh, the culmination of the gospel message that Jesus is going to reign as King one day, and and w w in light of that, the fact that he was going to suffer to pay the punishment for sin, rise again the third day, and then one day reign as King. And I think that's the the hope. Yes, and, and this, was, um, this was a hope that was given to the fathers, he said, which means that it was given to Abraham. Um, and Abraham, Abraham's hope that the promises that he had been given, not only to him, but to his offspring, is fulfilled in the resurrection. So, for instance, if we want to look at Romans 4, uh, we look at uh, verse 13. It says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 16. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may be rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, meaning not just the Jews, but the Christians. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom we believe, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he would, should become the father of many nations, has been told. So, um, evidently, according to Paul in Romans, and I think that's what he's referring to, is that Abraham's faith not only extended to uh, to Isaac being born and 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 him starting his uh, the the the, um, the nation of Israel, but extended to many nations and and it had to do with resurrection. Uh, so I, I I find it fascinating how Paul, in a very short few words, summarizes uh, summarizes sense the essence of. Of faith in, in and uh, and hope in 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 the nation of Israel over many many years, two three thousand years, right, Pastor Luke? Uh, it it was a, it's been a long time since they've been waiting to see this resurrection, and then it occurs before their eyes, and they don't recognize it. A lot of them don't, but Paul does. Yeah, and specifically, if you notice at verse eight, the question that Paul asks, he says, "Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead?" So one of the central uh, parts of the gospel, or, or one of the central pieces of the gospel, is the idea that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, this was not uh, a proposition that was accepted by, by many, um, and so Paul was opposed for the, for the message that he was proclaiming. Right. I mean, we see the message of, of, of Peter in Acts chapter two uh, about 
Jesus being handed over, I think the, the, the language it says that he was handed over to lawless men and that God raised him from the dead. So the question, why is it not incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Uh, is, is there kind of a scoffing at the notion of, of the resurrection of Jesus in particular? I mean, is that part of, of what's going on here? I mean, one of the things we do know is the Pharisees, they did believe in resurrection, whereas the Sadducees did not. So you have these two religious groupings or, or sects within Judaism, and one of them affirms the truth of resurrection. The other one does not. And Paul, you know, as he even says himself, you know, he was a Pharisee. And he hears specifically after talking about my hope and this hope, he then asks the question, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So what is it about the resurrection that's so central to Paul's hope? Well, I think it declare. I mean, the resurrection in general, why is it, why is it um, so powerful? Why is it so central is because it's, it, it declares Jesus as God. It's like, it's like the stamp of approval that Jesus was in fact God, because who else can raise people from the dead? And, and just the idea that we don't, the Christian faith doesn't worship or serve a, a martyr. No, Jesus rose again. He's still alive. He's, he's our, that, that brings hope. You know, we don't, he's not, uh, he's not dead. He's alive. We don't serve a, a dead God. Right. And so we see that, uh, you know, in each of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, I mean, the consistent testimony of, of the gospel writers is that early in the morning on the first day of the week, women went to the tomb um, they went to anoint the body of Jesus, and all four gospel writers tell us that the, the tomb was discovered empty. And I, I really like the way Luke's gospel uh, presents the, the question, the angelic question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. I mean, I just like that. I really like that, that, that statement. It's, it's a it's a question, but then a statement. It's a, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then the statement, he is not here, for he is risen. That's the message we see in the New Testament, that Jesus who died was raised. And, and Paul, um, he experienced a major transformation because he went from, and he even describes it here. You can also see it in Acts chapter 22. Uh, but you can also see it in the early chapters of Acts where, you know, Paul's former life, was one in which he opposed Jesus, he opposed the name of Jesus, but then a radical transformation takes place in his life. So, I mean, Paul himself, the, the transformation of Paul itself is a powerful witness to the truth of the resurrection, right? Because something radical happened in his life to, to transform him. And so what's he sent to do? I'm looking specifically at uh, verse 18. Verse 18, what 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 does Jesus send him to do? Well, just to be a witness of these things, to tell other people of what God has done in his life, I would say. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. I, I've read this story many times, but it strikes me um, 
and, and it always struck me in, in, in the story about Paul's conversion, that when God's, when, Je when, when Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for he appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to these things in which you have seen me, to those who I have appeared to you. Um, he didn't ask Paul, do you believe in me? He didn't ask Paul, uh, uh, have you received me as your savior? All he said to Paul was, I get up and get going because uh, here's what you're going to be doing. I find that fascinating. That, that's the way Paul describes his conversion. There was, no, there was not, nothing which required his assent. It, he, was, he was pushed along by the power of God. He was brought from a, a persecutor of, of Christians to one who become persecuted himself for being a Christian many, many times. And so he was, he, God just kind of knocked him off the horse and then said, get up and I'm going to send you to your people and to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Um, and so that was his mission from then on. Uh, that, that Paul said, I think it was in Philippians, that he... Uh, he runs to 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 fulfill that. He he keeps he keeps pressing forward because he doesn't want to be unfaithful to that vision that he got. Well, I think part of that too was the fact that Paul was a Jew, <laughs> and so Paul had been studied in the things of the old. I mean, that's why he says. I think that's even part of the question that goes. You know, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raised the dead? I, the idea seems to be that this is what been Scripture has been telling you all along. You just have to accept it as truth, and I think for Paul too. And when Jesus, when Jesus showed up to him on the Damascus Road, he knew, okay, this Jesus is real, and it's time to serve him. Right, and and, and it was no, and but there was no Jesus didn't say, "Well, do you believe me?" He just said, "Right, you, right. I, you're gone." But it's also when he says, "Why do you?" You know, that, what was that question again? Why, why do you believe that? Um, why do you think it's credible any of you that God raises the dead? Well. Festus was a Roman and and probably not a, a practicing Jew. I don't think he was. He didn't he didn't really understand his argument. The person he was asking this to was Agrippa. Now I understand that Agrippa, who was a what great great grandson of of uh, Herod the Eighth, that the one that killed all the babies in in Bethlehem. Um, he was a pious Jew, and not only was that was a pious Jew, but uh, Emperor Claudius had appointed him. Uh, even though it wasn't in his territory that he he governed, he was appointed to run the temple, and he was appointed. He was also the one who selected the the, the high priest. Uh, so he was very very in tune with the traditions of of the Jews, and that's what Paul was appealing to. And I agree with you, Joel. He's saying, you know all about this. Why do you think it's incredible? Yeah, which is perp It's right there, verse twenty two, which is what you're getting at, Joel. Uh, he says, uh, I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So Paul's saying, I'm saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So, so Paul is here claiming that his message is right in line with what the Old Testament said. And, and so... 
you're right. I mean, he he had a Jewish background, and you know, he's proclaiming something that he believes is perfectly consistent with the prophets, the law of Moses. We see this also in the Gospels, like in Luke chapter 24. Um, I believe Jesus references or or maybe Luke references that Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets and even the Psalms explain to them, I believe Jesus is explaining to his disciples the the things that that had happened. So so yeah, this whole gospel message, death, burial, resurrection, is consistent with Old Testament promise. So you know, Paul was really set up. But Paul, I think you also have a good point, though. The idea that it 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 was almost like the way the story is told. It's not like, hey, Paul, you know, I'm Jesus. You've been persecuting me, and now you got to choose: are you going to follow me or not? I mean, it's not really it's not described in that way. It's like you're my guy. I've chosen you. You know, and even when Ananias in Acts chapter nine, Ananias is he he appears to be hesitant to go to Paul because he's heard about this guy. And the Lord says, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and those who are in authority. So it's like, I've chosen this guy. So yeah, I mean, you definitely see the sovereign choice of God in the conversion of Paul, no doubt about it. Yeah, and, and, and Romans eight twenty-eight, you know, the, the, the verse that we all know, for we know who love, those who love God, all things work together good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, verse 29 says, and those he foreknew, he predestined to be uh, conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So there's again that firstborn piece, the first to rise from the dead. And what Paul is saying is, why don't you believe? Why don't you believe? If you believe in the resurrection, do you realize that Jesus was the first one to be raised from the dead, and he's the first, not only the first one to be, but he is the firstborn. He didn't say that here, but that's what he said in Romans: the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, he's he's the one that, that that shows us the way. That's what Paul' argument in in First Corinthians fifteen, right? That that Christ is the one who shows that that shows us all that we are going to be resurrected because he's the one that was the first one to be resurrected. And we know that we ourselves, therefore, will be resurrected because he now confirmed the fact that you can be raised, that God can raise people from the dead. Yeah, and, and that to that point, uh, Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in 1 Corinthians 15. And and so, you know, I think it's important to maybe make a little uh, a statement here about um, there are other people in the Bible who were brought back to life. But I think what's important for us to understand is, like, let's take Lazarus, for example. Lazarus died, as described in John chapter 11. And then Jesus, after he'd been dead for four days, after Lazarus had been dead for four days, Jesus called him out of the, out of the tomb. So Lazarus was brought back to life. But what's different about the resurrection of Jesus is Jesus was raised to life never to die again. He was resurrected. Um, he was raised in immortal, glorified flesh, and, and, and he would never taste death. Lazarus, I mean, every indication we have is Lazarus, who was brought back to life, he, was, he died again. So anybody who's raised to life that we see in the Bible, it's not that they're brought back to life and they don't ever die. 
Jesus is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep in that Jesus has been brought to resurrection life. And those who've been brought to resurrection life, um, it, it's not like they're going to die again. So Jesus is an immortal, glorified flesh, never, ever, ever to see corruption again or death. And that is our hope. That is the, our hope as Christians. It's, it's a hope that we can cling to no matter what happens to us. That's, that, that I, I just find that so encouraging to know that that hope is as solid as God is, as solid as eternity is, and I don't have to worry. My hope is that I'm going to be taken to heaven and he will raise me from the dead when the time comes for that. He will raise my body from the dead, but I'm going to be with him uh, when I die. I don't have to worry about dying and uh, being lost forever. And Peter describes it, 1 Peter 1, 3, as a living hope. He says that, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he connects the fact that we've been born again to a living hope he connects that with the resurrection by saying it's through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead so it's a living hope yeah i think uh the comparison between lazarus and jesus uh is a good one because it is helpful to understand that the resurrection is so much more than just coming back to life jesus isn't going to bring us just back to life so we can die again like you said no the resurrection is we are we receive resurrected bodies, you know, glorified bodies. When we, when our body, when our earthly body dies and we're resurrected, we get a new body and it's a glorified one with no sin. And, and that's, that's the, the beauty and the power of the resurrection. Yeah. I think that's a really good statement. There's, there's victory. There's victory in the resurrection. When Jesus went to the grave, he took his sin with him. And that's, you know, that's why Easter is so exciting because We'd all know the struggle with sin. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took the sin with him. And when he went to the grave, he buried it in the grave. And Jesus resurrected. And he, he didn't come back to life with sin. He came back to life without sin. And that's and like Paul said, that's our hope. That's our hope. God, that's and and, and the first Corinthians 15 that you referred to, uh, it, Joel, it, it, it says what you're saying. It's, it talks about that body as being something like a grain of wheat that... that uh, it dies, and then, of course, grain of wheat is just a very tiny thing, but it becomes a big plant. And his, his, his analogy to that is saying that uh, the what he calls the imperishable body that we're going to get, the imperishable uh, that, that we're going to inherit, is going to be so much, much more than the perishable. And that imperishable body is what inherits a place in heaven. Um, and so... Um, so in verse 54, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, that's what we're talking about, being raised to live forever, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That is such a powerful, hopeful verse. So death, where is your victory? Or death, where is your sting? It's no, death is completely defeated by the resurrection. Yeah, and, and you know, that whole 1 Corinthians 15 is a is a is just a really rich text. The whole chapter is dealing with resurrection. And, and 
what appears to have occasioned that specific um, writing, um, the, the, the part of First Corinthians where he talks about resurrection, is evidently there are some who have said there is no resurrection. And, and Paul begins to draw out the consequences that if you deny the resurrection in general, then what's happened is you've actually denied the resurrection of Jesus in particular, which is totally devastating to uh, the, the Christian faith. I mean, if, if the resurrection of Jesus did not actually happen, the whole faith just falls apart. Uh, the resurrection is essential to the gospel. But at the very end of it, right? So you got this whole incredible chapter dealing with resurrection. The very last verse, verse 58, it's like the ethical, moral, so what? He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So really that right there answers the question, how should the truth of Easter impact our daily life, right? So we can talk about the fact of resurrection. We can see the, the, the narrative descriptions in each of the four Gospels. We can see the narrative of Paul's experience in Acts 9 and his recounting of his conversion in Acts 22 and Acts chapter 26. And Paul's describing of his former way of life in Galatians chapter 1. Um, but, but the so what, okay, so if this really happened, if Jesus truly was raised from the dead, if Easter happened, how should that impact the way we live our lives? And I think Paul gives us the answer very clearly at the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And isn't that why Paul is standing trial here before Festus and Agrippa? Because he's doing just that in light of the truth of the gospel, in light of the truth of the fact that God's given us victory through Jesus. He's being steadfast. He's being immovable. He's he's abounding in the work of the Lord because he knows his labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yeah, and you just see the confidence in him going to trial, and he's not scared. He's not worried. He, he's confident, and and his hope is confident. Uh, sometimes we, I've in our uh, world today, you know, when we think of hope, it's like, well, we hope that this is going to happen. Like it's it's not a sure thing, but. We, we know that hope in the Bible, and especially Paul's hope here, was a confident hope. No, this is going to happen. <laughs> Jesus is resurrected from the dead. It's going to happen. Uh, it's, I'm confident of it. I, I've seen it in my own life. I've witnessed it. Like It's a confident hope. And I think even, even uh, it ends, it says in verse 32 of uh, the, the Acts 26 narrative, it says, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And Paul maybe even realized that, but Paul wanted to go to Rome, and he saw this as an opportunity to go to Rome to, to share his testimony. And, and how could he have such confidence in going to Rome and not fearing prison, prison and even death is because he had confidence. He was, like you said, he was steadfast, immovable. He wasn't scared. He knew what he knew where his hope was and where his future lied. Right. I, I, I like to. The, the emphasis on steadfast and movable, Joel and Pastor Luke, um, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And, and it re reminds me uh, what James says about our situation right now, because I would say that 
it probably is a trial. And he says in verse 2 of chapter 1, he start, James starts off his, his epistle with, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Would you have to agree we're going through trials now? A lot of us are. Uncertainty, wondering what's going on. And he says, well, you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There we go. There's that word steadfastness again, which means perseverance. It means keeping on, keeping on. And it says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we're called by the, the resurrection or hope in the resurrection in Christ to, as you said, Joel, is don't, don't ever doubt, because James says a little, early, a little later on, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Don't do that. But keep on believing, keep on hoping, keep on moving towards you know what he wants you to do, but being even movable in your hope. Yeah, I just I pulled up the, 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 the that verse, uh, verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, uh, in the NLT, which... Um, you know, I, I don't typically read from the NLT, but sometimes if I want to see like a kind of real dynamic way of, of or, or interpretive way of describing a text, you know, I might look at the NLT or even the message. Uh, but it says in the NLT, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do, the Lord is ever useless. And so I guess... We take a narrative like Acts 26, and we see what Paul's doing here. And by, by by communicating what he's communicating before Festus, before Agrippa, before anybody else that's hearing his voice, he's fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave him, right? I mean, he's carrying the name of Jesus before Gentiles, before kings, before those who are in authority. I think that was, uh, I think that's the description uh, in Acts chapter 9 where Jesus says to Ananias, hey, look, this is my chosen instrument, and, and he's going to carry my name. Yeah, verse 15, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So he's doing that. I mean, he's carrying the name of Jesus before these people, and he's here now in, in, the, in the presence of King Agrippa. He's in the presence of Festus. He's giving testimony to his faith in, in Jesus, the faith in the resurrection, um, and it's not a waste. Right? Nothing we do for the Lord, nothing we do in laboring for the Lord is a waste. It's not a wasted effort. It's not useless. Um, everything we do for the Lord has eternal value. And so I think that's important for us to, to think about and consider as we try to consider, okay, what's the, what are the implications of, of the Easter event and, and the truth of the gospel? I just think it also, it should just all this it's it it inspires well that that word enthusiastic it to me it points to we should be excited and happy about this <laughs> like i read an article the other day uh just about how sometimes christians uh they seem sad all the time or <laughs> discouraged and it's like that shouldn't be the the case uh you know christians ought to be known as the happiest people on earth because they have the hope of the resurrection and like that even even in difficult times, I think Scripture teaches is that we we should be happy people, and so I think uh, in this time of uh, trial, if you want to call it that, is 
we can still be happy and and just and and it's the resurrection that initiates her that gives us that incredible joy of knowing our savior's resurrected and he's going to resurrect us one day right i think and i think the way to get to that point if if you're still not excited and not enthusiastic and not uh uh happy when you hear that news then try practicing and this is what i try to do uh, try practicing being thankful Thank God for sending his son, as we do, and we, but we keep thanking God for sending his son. I, I prayed it this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for the almighty God of all the universe for thinking of me, thinking of my family, thinking of my church, thinking of the, of the world. Enough of us to want to rescue us. And by sending your son, which is part of the Godhead, to die for us, all this became possible, and, and it only could be possible by God sending his son. And what a, what a wonderful thing to thank God for. If there's anything else to thank God for, that would be what we because from then, as you, Joel, as you say, from then we get our hope that we too will be resurrected, we will be saved, and we will be with him in heaven. Yeah, you know, I was thinking another text I had thought about for, for Easter, uh, and Joel, what you said um, made me think about it, uh, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, Paul says, "We, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we also, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what, was, what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And, you know, this idea of, I mean, you know, Paul earlier in that, in that, in that letter had talked about the fact that um, they, they had been afflicted and, and he even says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? I mean, you know, it's interesting. He says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? I mean, we, it's foolish to rely on ourselves. Right? And so we may feel beat down and we may suffer and, and go through difficulty, but what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And, and yeah, there should be some enthusiasm and, and joy and excitement. I mean, we ought to be, 
joyful followers of Christ if we understand what's happened, what Jesus has done for us, and what he is doing for us. And so let's let's kind of, I mean, let, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about this idea. So if we believe what Paul believed and what Paul is talking about here in Acts 26, and, and interestingly, notice in Acts 26, what Jesus commissioned or sent Paul to do, I like the way it's described in verse 18. It says, to open their eyes so that they turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, right? So as Paul was evangelizing, as Paul was doing his missionary work, you know, he was being sent by Jesus to open people's spiritual eyes that they would turn from darkness to light, that they would turn from the power of Satan to God, that they would receive forgiveness of sins, and that they would receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. So if, if that's the kind of experience we've had, where we've turned from darkness to light, we've turned from the power of Satan to God, if we've put our faith in a resurrected Savior, how should that be impacting our lives? Like, what What is the significance of Easter in our daily lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community, in the midst of a global pandemic? Like, what impact does the truth of Jesus is not here, he is raised, how does that impact our daily lives? Well, I think just, you know, how we talked about that joy and that happiness, and it's easy to say that we should have joy, but if you truly, like, if this truly hits your heart, then then joy, how does then joy is expressed in those times, like you say, marriages. Well, then when you are struggling in your marriage, when things are difficult, uh, to have true joy in those moments means that you're relying on something else, not your your eyes aren't in the moment, they're on the future. And, and even in during this time, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be scared because we don't fear death, you know? The worst that this coronavirus could do is take our life or maybe a loved one's life. But we don't have to fear that. So I think that's one. And then and then just being confident and passionate about telling other people about like I mean that was that was Paul's attitude. Like he he understood what his responsibility was and it was to bring dead people to life. <laughs> it was to pro proclaim the resurrection of people so that they could experience what you just read, so that their eyes could be open. People are blind to the truth of Scripture, and we have an opportunity to help them see. And I know in my own heart, the challenge is, I don't see it as that that great sometimes. Like, I know I, I, I've received it, and it's good, but I don't, like, I, I'm, like it, I'm intimidated. Well, I don't want to offend somebody, or I don't want to do this or that. Well, <laughs> you're, you have the truth of the gospel. You have something that is better than anything they could ever hear, so don't, and they're not, they're willing to share their opinions and they're not even good opinions. So why are you afraid to do that? You should be confident and you have the best news in the world to share with them. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I think that maybe one way to approach it, at least is the way I do it, is, uh, is what Paul says in that passage you're, you're reading earlier, Pastor Luke, from 1 Corinthians Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, just before it talks about what he had gone through, it says, 
that um, he called, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, yeah. who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And and I I know what I know Christ suffered and went to the cross, and we don't we don't do that. But I I take this Christ suffering as being what we are asked to do as Christians to endure, as 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 James says, to endure the trials, to to count it joy. And in those trials, we're comforted by the resurrection, as he refers to the God, the one the God raised from the dead. Um, as we rely on God, we are comforted. As we rely on God, we are able to comfort others. So I, I, I told a story uh, uh, one time, but I'll tell it again. I was trying to understand how I could help my neighbors because uh, I'm concerned about them because they, they're the two neighbors on either side of me are, are in the 80s or a little almost 80. And I wanted to do something to, to, to help them. And I also wanted to do something to be able to share with them. And so it's it, so God provided uh, a, a, a package of toilet paper on Friday, which I was able to get. And then I said to Renee, "Well, let's share some of this." So I I went to the neighbor and I and I hadn't seen him for a while. I want to know if he's okay. And I called him up and I says, uh, "Would you like to have some toilet paper?" And so he said, "Oh yeah." And he come comes out of his house where I finally saw him, saw he was doing okay. And then I got the neighbor next door who was out side and she said oh yeah she takes some and then we started talking about how how this was terrible and never happened before and i said then i talked about how well the only thing we can rely on is god he's in charge no matter what happens he's in control is he not and i appealed to their sense of christianity and knew they're both one was catholic and one was methodist but i appealed to their faith in god whatever it was and they agreed with me, and I think they were comforted by what I said. And I hope it's more than just being comforted in a in an earthly sense, but a comfort in a spiritual sense, to where they are they would turn to God at this time and uh, be saved. I was just googling a verse. I wasn't sure where it was um, that I was thinking of in Hebrews, Hebrews thirteen twenty. It says, "Now may the God of peace." who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, I think for me, the, the, the doctrine of resurrection I don't know. I think sometimes uh, familiarity, like we we've, we're so familiar with the with the with the story, and and by using the term story, I, I don't mean like, I mean obviously I don't mean make believe. You guys know that, but you know for the sake of anybody listening, you know I don't mean like make believe. I mean story in the sense of 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 true historical reality. Um, you know we're so familiar with the the story of the gospel, the, the narratives of, of the resurrection, 
the, yeah, I mean, I think there's a sense in which we, we might lose the, the wonder or the amazement or the, you know, wow, this is, this is incredible. You know, may, maybe there's kind of a taking for granted, I guess. Does that, does that make sense that we just kind of, it's kind of becomes familiar to us. And so we have to almost kind of rediscover or, um, ask the Lord to help us to just experience in a fresh way, just how incredible the gospel is and how incredible, um, the, the truth of, of, of Easter is for us, not just for us as individuals, but uh, for all who God reveals the truth of the gospel to. And as we think about Easter Sunday, you know, we certainly don't want to just go through the motions of, okay, we're just going to have another Easter Sunday. I mean, it's already going to be different because it's not going to be like an Easter Sunday that I've ever experienced or Joel, you've ever experienced or Paul, you've ever experienced, right? I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure we could, I mean, when's the last time the entire nation, you know, with with probably some few exceptions of some churches that are probably going to go ahead and meet anyways, but when's, when's the last time the entire nation did not gather on an Easter Sunday morning? And so, you know, as we think about how do we how do we present the truth of 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 Easter in a way where we're being faithful to the scriptures, because you know <laughs> we're not making up stuff, right? I mean, we don't like. We don't come up with something new because, you know, it's another Easter. I mean, it, we, we, we preach what's in the eternal, unchanging word of God. Um, but, but how do we challenge people to, to really think in a, in a fresh way about resurrection and how to live? How do we live in light of it? And, you know, I think Paul is an instructive example of somebody who was transformed by the grace of God. And he lived his life as one who you know, does just what it says there in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, I think it's a, it's kind of interesting, the reminders that we get, even when it seems like a bad situation. And, and just the fact that I think that we can't meet on Easter Sunday, sometimes I think maybe the, the, uh, uh, I can't think of the word, but just the excitement that comes with Easter Sunday, part of it's, you know, the idea that we all go to church and we take a picture at church and, you know, it's this wonderful time, and those are all good and exciting things, and we should enjoy those. But just to be reminded, we don't need those to celebrate the resurrection. You know, we the resurrection happened, and we celebrate that. And I think we're always reminded on Easter, too, that we celebrate the resurrection every day of our life. It's part of the gospel. It's not just a Sunday thing. But it, I, I was just thinking of that, you know, like just the reminder that we, we can celebrate the resurrection doesn't have to be at the, the church, you know, whether we're at the church or we're in the building or celebrating with family doesn't, isn't what's based on or what the resurrection is based on. No, it's, it happened and we rejoice in that. Well, you think about that first, that first Easter, you know, if we use the term Easter, think about that first, you know, that, that, that first Easter when, I mean, they, they weren't, they were not joyfully gathered together, right? <laughs> they were, I mean, their, their master, their teacher, their, their rabbi, Jesus had been crucified. And I mean, it, it was, I mean, there, there was sadness. There was probably feelings of defeat and, and, and then they received the most incredible news of all that 
you know, he was alive. And, and, you know, I know from an apologetic standpoint, if we want to talk about, you know, apologetics and, and defenses for the faith, I mean, what's fascinating is that each of the Gospels tell us that it was women who were the first to discover the empty tomb. And that's not the kind of thing that you would have made up if you were trying to um, trying to make up a story. So the fact that you had women as the first to discover the empty tomb in that first century context where the testimony of women wasn't equal to that of a man, um, that in and of itself really kind of, you know, has some apologetic value because you're saying, hey, this, you know, they, they wouldn't have reported this had it not actually happened this way. And um, yeah, so th there's also some apologetics as well that we can consider when we look at resurrection as well. All right, any other... Um, any other thoughts or, or through the course of our conversation, I've written down a whole lot of scripture texts and texts have come to mind. There's just so many texts that come to mind when we start thinking about resurrection and, and, and Jesus being raised. I mean, there's just so many texts that come to mind. And so, um, you know, I'll have to, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens on Sunday. I may be, I may be jumping all over the place. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see as it, as it comes together. Make a good defense, Pastor Luke. You're going to make a good defense, right? And refer to the scriptures. Uh, absolutely. It, yes, the scriptures. Point people to the scriptures. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we want to give them the fact, the fact of the resurrection, but, but then also, okay, yeah, this happened. Now, how, 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 do, how, do, we, how do we respond to it? How do we live it? How, do we, how, do we, how should we be uh, functioning in, in light of this truth? If it's true, how do, what do we do? How do we rejoice? How do we be excited? Yeah. Well, even just seeing all those different passages that address the resurrection, and they all have different implications, it just shows the depth of the truth of the resurrection. You know, like, the, the, like it is a, a doctrinal, a huge doctrinal thing that has huge implications. And I think jumping around like that just shows that. <laughs> yeah. Central to our faith. Yeah. Absolutely essential. Yeah, I mean, Paul makes that so clear there in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 12 and following. He makes it so clear. It's it's absolutely essential. So um, good stuff. Uh, good discussion. Well, gentlemen, I thank you for your time. It was good to to interact with you as we uh, look to Acts chapter 26, the narrative text where Paul is uh, giving his testimony of, of conversion and, and what Jesus had done in his life. And as we also looked at other texts and we're anticipating a, an exciting time of celebrating with our church family via Facebook Live, as well as on our website this Sunday, Easter Sunday, as we proclaim once again, Jesus is alive. Gentlemen, thanks for your time. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in today. We're glad that you joined us. We hope that uh, this was an encouragement to you, and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.